Today, what we're going to be talking about, as some of you already know, is anger. Now, one of the interesting things is that when I originally put this series together and designed the focus for this weekend, it was weeks before George Floyd's death and the protesting and the rioting and all the things that we've experienced over the last couple weeks. Most of you know that this was a series that was designed around COVID-19 and our quarantine and learning uh, different lessons in quarantine that will make us stronger when we're out of it. But then all these other things happened and we have been bumping into this feeling and this emotion in other ways as well. And it just goes to show, I think, how timely this topic is and how needed it is for us to talk about pretty much in every single season, but especially right now. Now, the interesting thing is that when it comes to at least Christians and the way maybe that we have viewed anger, but this might go for anybody, even if you're not a Christian listening today, that our view generally of anger, I would say, is pretty simplistic. And it goes something like this, that anger is bad. And anger truthfully can be bad. And when you allow anger to sit for a long time in your heart, in your mind, in your life, it almost always produces bad results. But the reality is, the thing that I want to open up to you here at the beginning of the message is this, that anger is not always bad. And one of the main reasons why I know that and why I'm confident in saying that is because God gets angry. Then we look back on the three years of Jesus' ministry, he got angry. And so anger is a feeling or an emotion that we cannot say is always bad. Sometimes the feeling of emotion isn't bad. Or I'm sorry, the feeling of anger isn't bad. But so often, where we get ourselves into trouble is when and what we do with the anger that we're feeling. You know, one of the times that people tend to often get angry is when they're driving. And in fact, we have a, a special term for people who are in the midst of that anger on the road. We call it uh, road rage. Let me unpack road rage just a little bit for you to help you understand what I've been trying to introduce to your mind and to your heart. I'd like you to imagine that you're driving down I-35 and your entire family, including kids, are in the vehicle with you. And as you're driving, all of a sudden, someone speeds next to you and they swerve into your lane and they are clearly texting on their phone. And as they swerve, you almost drive off of the road. And if that would have happened, there would have been a good possibility that someone in your family could have been injured or possibly even killed as you swerve off the road at 70 miles an hour. Is it legitimate to feel some anger in that moment? Absolutely. 
There are people in that car that you care about. And someone was being a knucklehead on the roadway. Yes, it's legitimate to feel anger. But that feeling is not road rage. Road rage is the way you react. When someone who's been harmed on the roadway decides to then chase after that car going 85, 90 miles an hour, putting other people at risk, coming alongside that person that almost ran you off, rolling down the window, yelling obscenities at that person, and maybe giving them the one-finger salute. That, that reply, that result, those actions post the feeling is what rage is and where anger becomes bad, difficult, and dangerous. The truth of the matter is, is that what we really need to be thinking about is, how do I respond? What do I do with the anger that I'm feeling? And our first fill-in today says this, because I want to just be really clear at the beginning. If you lose your temper, prepare to lose. And what I mean by that is, Losing your temper is never okay. Rage in response to the anger in our hearts, to that feeling, is never okay. And if you lose your temper, if you are an angry person who loses his or her temper a lot, you're going to probably lose friendships. You might lose intimacy in your marriage. It's possible that you might lose your job. You lose people's respect. And if you've ever known someone who tends to respond to the anger that they're feeling by losing their temper. The other thing that happens is that people don't like to be around people like that. It makes them uneasy. Everyone's wondering when the next shoe is going to drop and makes them feel uncomfortable. You know, Solomon says this about the response to anger. Here, using again the word rage, he says, fools give full vent to their rage. They allow the feeling of anger to come out in ways that are not healthy and not good. They give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. So I wanted to make sure at the beginning here that we were on the, the same page in regards to what we're talking about. And now I'd like to dig just a little bit more into the definition of what anger is. You know, I was uh, listening to a talk that a Christian pastor named uh, Tim Keller gave about anger. And he brought up something that really struck my heart and mind. He was talking about the relationship between anger and love. And so often you might think that love is the opposite of anger. But what he brought out in this is that that's just not true. That anger is not the opposite of love. In fact, he said that really what the opposite of love would be is indifference. But that in fact, when you're feeling something, when you feel anger, it's kind of like love in motion. There is something or someone that you care about that is threatened or possibly being able to be taken away, and, and the love that you have for a thing or a person causes there to be a feeling of anger inside of you. Let's go to the next slide. 
that the truth of the matter is that anger is a sign that you care. Anger is a sign that you care about something. Let me give you an example about this. So let, let's say that you are going to a youth sporting event. Have you ever been to one? I'm sure you have. And let's say that when you get to that sporting event, that there's someone there, a parent, who at some point during the game gets angry. Now, of course, this wouldn't be you <laughs> that are watching today, but just someone. I bet that almost every youth sporting event you've ever gone to has had some parent that you've noticed being angry with a coach. Most of the time, it's at the refs. And in fact, this has gotten so out of control in our country that youth referees are pretty much hard to find in every single state because no one gets paid enough to put up with that type of unwarranted and not fair abuse. There is no doubt the way that parents treat refs or coaches is not okay. But just for a moment, let me ask this. Why do they get angry? You might say bad refing. That's not it. The reason they get angry is because there's someone playing in the game that they care about and they really want to do well. And you might also, you know, have your own thoughts on why they want their child to do well. Sometimes it's a selfish thing. But to prove my point, if you take that same parent who gets angry, take them to a second grade basketball game <laughs> where they know none of the kids or none of the people, I guarantee you, that they won't be as angry because they don't care as much about the people on the team. Anger is a sign that you care. And that might help you a little bit better understand why Jesus got angry sometimes. Probably the most well-known example of Jesus getting angry is when he, towards the end of his life, went to the temple and there was a bunch of uh, marketplace dealings going on right inside of the temple and he turned over all the money changer tables. Why did he do that? Because he cared deeply for his heavenly father and they were making a mockery of God's temple. Maybe a less known event of Jesus getting angry is when he was questioned by the Jewish leaders about whether he should be healing a man with a, a shriveled hand because it was the Sabbath day and these Pharisees were more concerned with the technicalities of Sabbath law rather than just helping someone in need. And it says that Jesus paused and he was angry. Why? Because it was obvious that someone was in need and that they needed to be cared for and to be loved. There's a fourth century church father named John Chrysostom. And he has this interesting quotation that was really helpful for me. Maybe it's helpful for you too. Here's how it goes. He that is angry without cause sins. And 
He that is angry when there is cause sins also. So what should we have a legitimate feeling of angry about? How do we know what a just cause is? That leads us, at least for Christians, to our second fill-in for today, that Christians should care about the things that God cares about. That Christians should love the things that God loves. That Christians should love the people, that is, all people, (laughs) that God loves. That Christians should reject the things that God rejects and be a part of change when it's needed. Now, there is so much application to this when it comes to the feelings of anger that we've been having collectively as a nation and individually as Christians over the last couple of weeks. And I'm not going to answer all of the questions for you or give you any specific application here because I really believe it is up to all of us and our own mindset, our own hearts to do some self-introspection and to ask ourselves, what does God care about in this situation? And that's what I should care about. Who or what would God love in this particular circumstance? And what then do I, in response, need to do about that as well? Now, here's the thing. As much as that might make sense, and I hope you apply it to your heart and to your mind, here's what I know about you because it's true about me too. I'm not going to get this 100% perfect all of the time. Because of our sinful natures, we're going to screw up. We need to be aware of our sinful tendency to react to that feeling of anger in the wrong way. And sometimes it can be helpful to just smoke out a little bit the things that are at play in our hearts. And that leads us to our lesson for today. See, we're still in this series where we're looking at the life of Moses and his leading of the Israelites in the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And today, I really want to focus in not on the Israelites, but on Moses. Um, Moses in the New Testament is called a hero of faith. He was clearly a man of God, but he also clearly was not perfect. And one of the warts that we see in Moses' character over and over throughout his life is that he was a little bit of a hothead. He had a temper. Or to say it this way, Moses struggled with handling anger. Um, When he was 40 years old, you might remember this, he saw an Egyptian abusing an Israelite. That wasn't good. Moses, in his anger, killed the Egyptian. That wasn't good either. Later in Moses' life, when he was 80, he came down from Mount Sinai, and he had been given two tablets of stone that he didn't write on, but that God himself wrote on the Ten Commandments. He got down to the bottom of the mountain. The Israelites 
ended up worshiping an idol, a golden calf. That was not good. It warranted Moses to be angry, to feel that anger. But what did Moses do? Maybe you remember. He lost his temper and he smashed these stone tablets of the Ten Commandments onto the ground, broken up into pieces. That was not good either. Today, we're towards the end of Moses' life. We are towards the end of the Israelites' wandering. In fact, it's about 39 years into their wandering. And as we've seen over and over again, the Israelites' biggest activity in the wilderness was complaining. And the lead-up to our section today is the Israelites complaining again. This time... They were complaining because they were thirsty. And instead of trusting that God would provide like he did for 39 years, they complained. They lamented the fact that they were in the wilderness instead of Egypt. They didn't trust God, which wasn't good. And so Moses takes their complaints along with Aaron to God. And we turn to Numbers chapter 20, beginning with verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly of the Israelites together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So quite honestly, as we read these verses and then think about what's coming, Moses brings the complaining of the Israelites to God. And although they deserved punishment in this moment for continuing to sin, and God had probably felt some anger over that complaining, we see a rather patient God who was going to show, him, show them his love by in a very miraculous and calm way giving them water from a rock. So what did Moses do? So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And he didn't speak to the rock. He spoke to the people. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring you water out of this rock? Kind of inferring again, because this had happened before. Then Moses raised his arm, didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. A very different reaction than what God wanted Moses to have. We see Moses once again allowing the righteous anger that he had in his heart because it is not okay to complain against God over and over and over. The righteous anger turned into rage, into Moses losing his temper. Then what happened? But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy, to represent me correctly, 
in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. This was a huge discipline of Moses and Aaron because it was a huge loss of temper that Moses had. And here's how I think it probably went in Moses' mind and heart. That he has tired of all the grumbling and complaining. He knew the Israelites were in the wrong. And so when he came to God to let him know about their complaining, I think he fully expected God to respond with his own anger towards the Israelites. I think Moses was waiting for God to let them have it. Because that's how Moses was feeling. And then God decided to do something different, as we saw. To be patient. To forgive. To do a miracle and give water. And at this point, not only was Moses mad at the people for grumbling and all the problems they caused him, but in a very real way, Moses was also mad at God for not doing what Moses wanted him to do. Remember, I said before that as Christians, we should care about what God cares about. The truth is, Moses made it about what he wanted and not what God wanted. And I really believe when it comes to anger and when it comes to what to do with anger, this is something that we really, really need to think about. Because so often we get angry about things that really aren't that important in the long run. Maybe someone slighted us. Maybe we didn't get the job we were hoping for. Maybe someone else hurt us in one way or another, in a minor way. And we just cannot let that go because it's all about me. Whereas in other ways and in other areas where there's these big things like injustices in the world or, or hatred or lack of love or just, you know, on and on that we don't get as angry as we should. Because here's the problem, number three, that disordered love leads to disordered anger. As Christians, we should care about immensely the things that God cares about. We should love the things that God loves. We should reject the things that God rejects. Anger, that feeling in our heart and mind, is one of the most difficult things to rein in and to control. Especially, especially if you don't take the time to think about it. So as we kind of try to wrap all of this together with a, where do we go from here? Our number four fill-in says this. Respond to anger thoughtfully not emotionally. When you're feeling anger in your heart, 
It might be legitimate. It might be selfish. The best thing you can do is stop. Don't send an email. Don't paste on social media. Don't give a phone call. Just stop. And think it through. You know, every day we're battling emotions that come from not great places. <laughs> Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, he, he wrote this, that the heart, because we still have a sinful nature in us, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We need to be aware of that. We need to test our feelings and ask this question. Why am I angry? Is it because I've been slighted? Is it because I'm being selfish right now? Or is it legitimate? Would Jesus be angry about this thing if he was here? What really is at the root of my anger right now? And then the second question is this. How will love direct my response? You know, there's been a lot of talk about justice on both sides of things over the last couple of weeks. Just lots of justice talk. And when it comes to this world, God has placed governments in place, or to say it a different way, governments are in place to be part of that justice. But on a personal level, when it comes to our personal relationships with other people, we have this directive by God that it is not ours to avenge, but God will. And instead, our response should be one of love and one of forgiveness and of healing and of mending. Paul wrote about anger and he put it like this. He said, get rid of. And the word picture here is maybe akin to if you've ever walked into a dark room and you got a spider web on your face accidentally. Like, do you just sit there and let it be on you? I mean, you move quicker than ever as you're trying to grab that thing off. You don't want it to stick on you. That's the way it should be with anger and its fruits. Get rid of all bitterness with rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. There can be and is, as we've talked, a, a certain thing called righteous anger, but we do not want to sit in that anger very long because it will show itself in ways that are not healthy and not helpful. And then it continues this way. Be kind and compassionate. It's not always easy to do. And forgive each other, just as in Christ 
God forgave you. God had every reason to be legitimately angry with me and with you. We ruined his world, our forefathers did, Adam and Eve, and we daily add to that every single day. And the truth is, because God is holy and just, that we deserve to have his righteous anger over sin taken out on us. But he didn't. All of the punishment I deserved, and you too, he took out on his innocent son. Which as much as I get to preach it, and as much as I get to think about it, it still doesn't make total sense to me because grace is a love that doesn't make sense. It's an undeserved type of love of a God who would take on our punishment even though we've done nothing to deserve it. And after having that huge debt paid, I'm not saying that forgiving other people is easy. It never is. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things that we're called to do for others. But here's what I know. Forgiven people will forgive people. Forgiven people have been called to forgive people. Because it's changed our lives, our eternities, because he has given us hope for eternity, and because out of that hope and forgiveness, we are able to, with the Spirit's help, to live in ways and to act in ways that we never would have before through those fruits of the Spirit. Our broken world needs Jesus most of all. There has never been a time that I've been more passionate about the things that we get to do together, yes, as North Cross, but as Christians across the world. There is no way that any government is going to be able to legislate love for each other. And even if they had the perfect laws in place, the truth is in a sinful world, we're still going to be hurt. We're still going to be harmed. We're still going to hurt people. Even accidentally, we're still going to harm people. And that's why we all need Jesus so much. And what a blessing it is that we get an amazing opportunity to not only be recipients of his grace, but to share that same grace, that same forgiveness with others. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it is so much easier 
to talk about what we should do with anger than it is to actually do it. Lord, I, I pray that the things we talked about today from your word are a blessing to the people that heard them, that we would, first of all, recognize our culpability and not always acting or thinking the right way. And that as we hear your words of forgiveness, that we would respond in ways that give love and share forgiveness with others. We thank you, Lord. Amen.